Good morning, friends, and I'd like to introduce you to Gus. This is Gus. He's a really good friend of Winston's. Hi, 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 hi. Gus, 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 I can't see. I can't see. Your hand's in front of my mouth, my face. Oh. Sorry. Okay. Well, anyway, the story today comes from John, the book in the Bible, John 9. Oh, I like John. He's so nice. He brought me a really cool truck for my birthday. That's nice. But we're talking about the book in the Bible. Oh, I know. The book that comes after Luke. Yes, the book that comes after Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Oh, I know Luke. He he got married to Molly in December. She's so pretty. <laughs> yes, she is. But she's not in our story. Oh, okay, go on. Okay, so Jesus and his buddies, and they called them the disciples, were walking down the street when they heard a man yell, and they walked over to see what he was yelling about. And when they got over there, they saw that he was blind. Blind? Ah, why? What happened? Well, that's what the disciples were trying to figure out. But he was blind from birth. Ah. That's so sad, so, so sad. Well, you're right, it seems sad, but wait till you see, God had a plan. All right, so they were walking along, they sat down, they saw the, saw the man who was blind, and Jesus went over to talk to the man, and he asked him what he was doing. And the blind man told him he was begging. So at this point, Jesus spits on the ground, and makes mud. Blech. Why was he making mud? Why, why would he make mud? Was he going to play with it? No, he wasn't going to play with it. Well, what was he going to do? Well, you'll see. So the man told the blind man, so Jesus told the blind man, that he was going to put mud on his eyes and that he should close his eyes real tight like this. And then he put the mud on the man's eyes. Blech! On his eyes? Why did he put it on his eyes? That's a whole new meaning to here's mud in your eye. Ha, 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 ha. Gus, be serious. Okay. So anyway, he told the man, after he put the mud on his eyes, he told the man to go wash his eyes, and then after he washed his eyes, he would be able to see. Did it work? Yes, it did. God had a plan for that man being born blind. And he's got a plan for all of us. Does he have a plan for me and you? Yes, he does. He has a plan for everybody, even for a man being born.
Well, good morning, everyone. You guys excited to be here this morning? Well, my name is, yeah, that's great. Uh, my name is Daryl Davis. I'm not blind. Uh, I am the director of our uh, outreach and our worship areas here at Codshill Presbyterian Church. But I do have a son who's blind, who's uh, been blind for over 30 years. And so uh, I know what it is to, uh, to deal with blindness. And so today, we are actually going to look at a story in the Bible uh, that deals with uh, blindness as Jesus comes across and approaches and deals with 13 blind people, first his 12 disciples, and then uh, one man who was blind uh, from birth. And so in this story, we're going to see uh, three things, how Jesus shows us how to take the right path, which is the path of awareness, being aware of our surroundings. Also, we're going to see how he teaches us how to ask the right question and then how to focus on uh, the right thing. And so Jesus approaches these guys, and, and as he often does, Jesus compares and sort of contrasts between those who were born blind physically or just blind physically and those who are spiritually blind. So we're going to look at this scripture, and, and perhaps you've heard of that passage in Matthew where it says Jesus talks about uh, those um, who are the blind leading the blind. And of course, in Matthew 15 there, what he's doing is he's saying that those of us who are Christians uh, shouldn't be hypocritical in leading those uh, who are spiritually blind down the wrong path, the blind consequentially leading. In our world are walking around blind. Uh, they're, they're groping around the darkness and they can't see the hope and the love, the unconditional love and the peace that's found only in Jesus Christ. And so rather than point blame and, and, and ask questions about why and, and causation, uh, what if we looked instead to what God can do in that situation? Uh, so bow your heads with me as I pray, and then we will uh, jump into the message. Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, today, for just the opportunity to come together and worship for uh, Jesus University and all that you're doing in the lives of those young people and just for all you're doing in our body here. Uh, God, we pray that you would help us to see today, those of us who are both spiritually blind and, and even those of us in our world who are dealing with blindness on a whole different level. God, we pray that you would help us to see today, see your word clearly and see what you would have us do and how we walk out our lives here on the earth uh, that you've given us to manage. In Christ's name, amen. And so let's jump right in. Uh, we're going to be looking at John 9, and let's, uh, we're going to read through the whole passage here from 9, uh, verse 1, all the way through verse 7. And so it says, Walking down the street, Jesus saw a blind man, blind from birth. His disciples asked, Rabbi, which is teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, causing him to be born blind? Jesus said in verse 3, You're asking the wrong need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here working while the sun shines when night falls the work day is over for as long as I am in the world there is plenty of light I am the world's light he said this and then he spit in the dust made a clay paste with the saliva rubbed the paste on the man's eyes and said go wash at the pool of Siloam which means sent the man went washed and he saw so right there, we see as we look at that scripture and begin to allow it to unpack and fold, we see the first thing there is that Jesus uh, was aware that he noticed the blind man. And so the key point for us, our first point is to take the path of awareness, to, to take the right path, which is the path of awareness, and to recognize and to notice those that we come in contact, often those who are marginalized in our society. Jesus cared enough 
to notice. Now, in our world today, it seems like that would be a simple thing, but if I were to ask you, actually describe those persons. And that's because we live in such a, a society that, that we are destination orientated. Uh, we tend to be people that are on the way, always heading somewhere to meet someone about something. And it's, and it's hard for us at times to allow ourselves to become redirected and to notice those in our world, especially those who are marginalized. But Jesus took time to notice, to be aware of those in his world. And so I want to ask you this morning, how often do you allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life? Uh, as you go about your life on your regular journey through work and, and whatever it is that you do, how often do you allow yourself to be what appears to be maybe a distraction where you would allow God to speak to you and to how you deal with those who are marginalized in our world? Uh, are we blind to the marginalized? Or do we notice those who are marginalized in our world like Jesus? Are we blind to the marginalized? Blinded by our own purposes and our own causes. Jesus noticed the blind man. And we should notice those who are marginalized in our society today as well. And that moves us to our next point, that we should ask the right question. Now let's look back there at, uh, at verse 1 again. It says, walking down the street, Jesus saw a blind man who was blind from birth. His disciples said, Rabbi, which means teacher, who sinned this man or his parents causing him to be born blind? In verse 3, Jesus says this, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There is no cause or effect here. Look instead to what God can do. So we see right here that before Jesus ever encountered the blind man, before he ever walked up and had a face-to-face encounter with the blind man, he dealt with the question that his disciples asked. And though, though that question was the wrong question, it was a very important question. It was a question that, that really uh, tur- turned out to, to reveal the very essence and the thing that's in their heart. And so oftentimes when we come across questions and when we ask questions, we look at our questions as if though they were things that would reveal information. But in truth, questions also reveal what's in our own hearts. There's a great book by Andy Stanley where he talks about asking the right question. And he has two critical things that he says that questions do. He says, questions accomplish two critical things that reveal what matters to us and reinforce what we value. I'll say that again. They reveal what matters to us and reinforce what we value. The question that you would ask when you come across those who are marginalized in your world, what is it that matters to you? What is it that you're reinforcing about what you value? Now, uh, I'm no Albert Einstein, but Albert Einstein had a great quote uh, that he said, the great physicist said this. He said, if I had an hour to solve a problem and my life depended on it, I would use the first 55 minutes determining the proper question to ask. If I had an hour to solve a problem and my life depended on it, I would use the first 55 minutes, is what he says, determining the proper question to ask. Albert Einstein knew that solving a great problem started with asking the right question. In this case, in this scripture here, the the disciples were asking the wrong question. The wrong question is always a blame question. It's blame-based. It's a who sin kind of question. But the right question is love-based. It's what can God do in this situation. So as we encounter people in our everyday lives, as we go about on our journey doing our own thing, the question we should ask ourselves is, are we asking the wrong question, questions about blame and fault finding, or are we asking the right questions, love questions, questions that bring out what God can do in the situation that they're in? 
Now, the disciples, they operated from a particular worldview that was common during that, that period. It was actually shaped by the religious culture of that day, as so many other cultures have been shaped by the religious. You see, in their culture back then, if a person was dealing with severe pain or suffering or, or going through a hard time, dealing with tragedy or, or, or going through a deeply dark situation of poverty, what they believed that, that it was often a cause of wrongdoing by that party and that somehow they were being punished by God for the wrong that they had done. In their mindset, uh, the greater the problem, the greater the degree of sin. They felt that the greater degree of problem, the situation that this guy dealt with, this blind man, came about because there was a great sin that he had committed, which is why they said, who sinned? Who sinned? Was it this guy who did something wrong or was it his parents? Now, uh, there was a historical uh, perspective that went around uh, during that time period where there were three primary uh, uh, veins of thought that were, were common in the Jewish mindset back then. One of those was based about, around the idea of reincarnation. Uh, they, they thought that, well, if you lived another life before, then obviously if you're dealing with blindness or dealing with pain or dealing with sickness or trouble today, it's a result of, of your past life, the life that you had before. Now, believe it or not, that, that same mindset had crept into the minds of those who were Christ followers in that time period. There's another uh, train of thought that they had around the same thing that was a historical thought, and this was really a weird kind of thinking pattern, but, but they, they actually had this belief system that somehow that the baby in the, in the mother's womb that the baby, even while he was there or she was there before they were even born into the Uh, this past week, we were talking about a movie uh, that was very popular back in the day. And if you were a baby boomer like me, you will remember the movie called Minority Report. Anybody remember that movie? Anyone out there? Yeah. It was a movie that... that, that locking up people based upon the crimes that people they thought people were going to commit in the future. That was the same mindset that these guys had. That's the same worldview that they had back during this time period. And so the question for us today is if we would examine our own lives, if we would look within our own selves, what worldview are, are we operating when we come across those who are marginalized in our world today? Are we asking the right questions when we encounter the marginalized? Are we, are we asking the questions that, that would say, what could God do in this situation? Or are we pointing blame? causing fault to be found in that individual versus looking at what God can do. Uh, the great uh, Martin Luther, uh, not Martin Luther the theologian, but Martin Luther the King Jr., the great Martin Luther King Jr. had this to say when it came to him. The most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others? Life's most persistent and urgent question is what are you doing for others? So the question for us is still, what are we doing and what questions are we asking when we encounter those who are marginalized in our society today? When we come across the poor person in our, in our culture, the person dealing with poverty, that, that, that maybe is that guy who's standing underneath the overpass, that bridge, begging for a spare change. What's the question that comes to our mind? Or maybe, maybe the working for the person that's going to work every day but just can't make enough to, to, to make ends meet. What are coming to our minds? 
Often I can tell you when I see that guy standing on the side of the bridge asking for money, I'm asking myself this question. I wonder what he did to cause his stuff to get in that situation. Maybe he's a drug addict who made wrong choices, and it's probably his fault that he's dealing with poverty. Maybe, maybe he just didn't listen to his parents, and maybe it's his parents' fault because maybe they didn't send him to school and force him to do the right things along the way. Maybe, maybe it's something that he did to put himself in that situation. What are the questions that you ask yourself when you deal with those who are marginalized? Perhaps you, 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 you see many like I do, and perhaps you, you look at those who are marginalized, who are single parents, and and you would say to that single mom or single dad in the grocery store whose kids are yelling and screaming and causing a commotion, maybe you're saying, well, maybe, maybe there's something that mom did, did wrong. Maybe, maybe there's just a sense of promiscuity that she has about her that caused her to be in this situation. Maybe, maybe it's something that that guy did. Maybe he didn't pay attention like he should have. And maybe that's why he's in the situation that he's in. I would urge you to look instead to what God can do and be a part of the solution versus being just a part of the problem. Oftentimes we come across those with health issues and those who are marginalized because they're dealing with issues in our society today. Maybe they're communicable diseases or maybe there's someone that's dealing with a sexually transmitted disease like HIV. So we look at those individuals and maybe what we do is we point the finger instead of looking at what God can do and showing the unconditional love that God shows. Uh, it tells us today in society that one in five persons is dealing with uh, mental health and our mental illness issues in our society today. What's the mindset that you have when you come across a person standing outside of a grocery store or a department store who's obviously dealing with mental health issues? Do you want to shoo that person away and tell them, ah, get out of the way, you don't belong here? Or do you have the mindset that Jesus has, wondering what can God do in this situation? I was looking back of the day, and I, and I ordered myself this neat T-shirt that said Trayvon for Trayvon Martin. If you remember back on the 26th, just a few days ago, was the anniversary death of Trayvon Martin. And so Trayvon was a marginalized person. He was a person who was gunned down and murdered because perhaps he was marginalized by the color of his skin or maybe even the age group he was in. But, but the reality is, instead of looking at who he was, the individual who took the shot looked at him based upon uh, what, what it was that he could be and might be based upon the situation. I want to urge and encourage you to not look at the marginalized with blame and with fault finding, but look instead to what God can do. There's a great passage in the Bible in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 117, that says this, learn to do good. This is what it's saying to those of us who are believers. Learn to do good, work for justice, Help the down and out, stand up for the homeless, and go to bat for the defenseless. I'll say that again. Learn to do good, work for justice, help the down and out, and stand up for the homeless. Go to bat for the defenseless. And see, that's why I'm grateful to be a part of a church like this that stands up for the defenseless. I'm grateful to be a part of a church that, that goes and serves and helps and reaches out to those who are defenseless and helpless in our, in our society. I'm grateful to be working with, with Colleen, who's, who's working diligently at Pleasant Hill Academy with so many others here that, that are not looking at what these kids might become, but, but, but making a difference right now, reaching in and snatching them out of the grips of poverty, snatching them out of the grips of the penal justice system where they could be something Unless someone like you looked in and said, what can God do in this situation? I'm grateful for Bev Graves, who you saw uh, in the children's video, and her work with Heartbeat of the City, uh, who's working tirelessly in the city, reaching out to those who are trapped in poverty, who many would look at as those who are disenfranchised and marginalized. 
I've had the benefit of working with Bev and, and providing beds for about six different individuals that I knew of who were sleeping on cold, hard grounds in apartments uh, with no furniture, no clothing, except what would fit in a garbage bag. Bev provided a bed that said more than have a good night's sleep. But it said, in fact, you are valuable, you are precious to the God who created and made you. What if we learn to do good more? What if we continue to work for justice, continue to help the down and out, and, and stand up for the homeless as we do here with, uh, with our ministry here? And what if we went to bat for those that are defenseless? Now, uh, a great theologian, uh, Mike Jorgensen, once said, don't hear. Yeah, I don't know if you guys ever read books by But he said, he said don't hear what I'm not saying, right? So, so what I want you to understand is I'm not saying that there aren't consequences, that there aren't choices that we make in our society today that, that won't cause us to be found in a tough situation. Make no mistake about it. The Bible's clear in Romans, in Romans 6. It says the wages of sin is what? Come on, you can do better than that. The wages of sin is what? Yeah, so what that means is when we commit sin, when we live our lives in sin, that there are consequences and death works itself out over and over again in our lives, except for the rest of that verse that says the gift of God is what? Come on, the gift of God is what? The gift of God is eternal life. And so what God wants us to do is be people who look at the marginalized, who recognize that we are not only supposed to, but we are called to be people who take that gift of life, that we are bearers of the gift of life to those who are, who are trapped in poverty, who are trapped in sin. Instead of pointing the finger, that we take the love, the unconditional love of Jesus Christ and that we show them a better way. There are many in our society, many in our world, who are, who are walking around in darkness. There they, they don't see the hope and the, the peace and the unconditional love that's only found at, at the foot of Jesus Christ. But instead of pointing blame and, and trying to find out causation and, and wondering why, what if we said instead, God, what can you do in this situation? But make no mistake about it, sin has its consequences. But not all consequence is a result of things that we might have done as a result of our own personal sin. Bad things just happen sometimes, even to good people. There's a quote that says, personal wrongdoing and sin will always result in suffering and pain. Personal wrongdoing and sin will always result in suffering and pain. However, suffering and pain is not always the result of personal wrongdoing and sin. As I said before, bad things just happen even to those who don't even deserve it. So perhaps you're a person today and you're dealing with, with, with sickness. Perhaps today you're a person who's dealing with, with deep sorrow because you've lost someone to COVID-19. Perhaps you're a person here today who, who you're living out of what it means to be in poverty, whether you want to or not. It's not necessarily a result of something you did, but oftentimes you need to look inside and say, God, what can you do even in my situation now where I am? The truth is... It's not always about personal sin or the sins of the fathers. The Bible tells us that in the beginning, because of the sin of Adam, the very first sin, sin entered into the world. And the destructive nature of sin still unfolds in the world in which we live in today. Bad things happen to good people. When we're asking the right questions, though, the what can God do question, it will guide how we focus our energy, which brings us to our third point. Focus your energy on the right thing. Let's go back to verse 3. Jesus said to the disciples, you guys are asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no cause and effect here. Look instead to what God can do. Now, before we move on, 
it seems almost like the beginning, that verse there in verse 3, just sort of leaves it right there. Look instead to what God can do, and that would be the end. But in fact, uh, the writer continues on. Jesus continues on, and he weaves in the next verse, which, which, which joins what God can do and rejoins in the responsibility that we have in working with God. This is what it says in verse 4. Here's what Jesus says, working while the sun shines. We need to be how? We need to be, what does that E word say? We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here is what Jesus says, working while the sun shines. When night falls, when night falls, the work day is over for as long as. Light for as long as I'm in the world, there is plenty of light. I am the world's light. See, I wonder if too often we walk about and act as if though that night has already fallen. But I'm here today to say that nighttime has not fallen. Perhaps you, you are influenced by politics of the day. And so, so maybe, maybe you're looking at what's going on right now and you're saying, oh man, boy, the Republicans are in, in charge now. Oh, girl, we, we are in trouble right now. Maybe you're on the other side and you're thinking, boy, girl, I tell you what, we lost out. Now, man, those Democrats are up there now. And, and now, now, now Nancy Pelosi, man, it's going to be a tough time, Pastor D. We're going to have a hard time now. Dark times have come. Maybe we're thinking, oh, boy, that, 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 that old Mitch McConnell's there. And boy, I tell you what, tough times are ahead and it's just going to be rough and we're going to have trouble. Dark times have fallen. Maybe, maybe what we think is, you know what, girl, they took prayer out of schools a, a while back. Boy, now we're living out the consequence. There's trouble now because they took... Maybe, maybe what we're thinking is that they, they roll back this whole idea of Roe versus Wade. And so, boy, sin's entered the world. Dark times have fallen. There's, there's no possible way that God can do anything. But here, listen, what I want to tell you today, my brothers and sisters, is, is that nighttime has not fallen, that it's not over with, that Jesus is still at work in today, that the sun is still shining. The sun is yet shining in the world that we live in today, that Jesus is still at work in us and he's at work in our world today through us that's the good news of the gospel and see the good news is, is that i don't know about you but i don't really care a whole lot about what goes on the white house because my bible tells me that that jesus said i will build my house at the church that the gates of hell will not be able to prevail against those of us who name the name of christ and who are at work today in the church and through the church reaching out to those in our world today listen we have work to do the Bible's clear that nighttime hasn't fallen, that Jesus is still at work, and we need to be at work with Jesus, energetically at work in our world today, while the day is still here, because nighttime is coming, the Bible says, when no one will be able to work. Nighttime is coming when no one will be able to work. But I got good news. The work day is not over in College Hill. The work day is not over in North College Hill. There's still light shining in Northside. God's still at work in Mount Healthy and in Springfield Township. Uh, God's still at work in the city. It's not over with, not over at all. Darkness has not fallen so much that light still can't shine through because it shines through through you and I who name the name of Christ if we become those who are energetically at work doing what God wants to do through us. You see, many in our society, many in our world today, uh, they're, 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 they're going about in darkness. They're groping in darkness, trying to, to find their way. They, they don't see the, the love, the peace, the unconditional love, and the hope that's only found in Jesus Christ. 
It's easy to stand back and to point blame and point the finger and and to, to try to figure out why someone's in the state they're in. But what if we instead look to what God can do? What if we became the answer to the solution instead of the answer to the problem and and become the solution instead of part of the problem. And our alpha group, a young man pointed out that Jesus, Jesus brought out a story one time about a person who had a log in their eye who was critical of a person who had a speck in their eye. Let's be people who don't go about pointing the finger, but let's look internally and look to what God can do working through us. The work day is not over. Uh, A while back, I would say maybe about, uh, maybe about six months ago, I, uh, I had the privilege of uh, having a profession, uh, which is law enforcement, as a, as a police officer. He wanted to know what he should do about a really tough situation. And so what happened was there were people who moved in the community from the other side of the tracks. Mm-hmm. See, there were, there were people who moved in uh, whose children were unruly. Uh, they were loud and disruptive. Uh, there was a lot of commotion that went on next door. Day and night, there was trouble upon trouble upon trouble, and it was causing a problem in the entire neighborhood. You know the people I'm talking about because perhaps you pointed to those same people that may have moved into your community. They, they had those particular kind of dogs. What kind of dog do you think it was? Yeah. Those dogs are marginalized too. But, but they had, <laughs> I'm just saying, but, but they, had, they had pit bulls who were running around terrorizing people and, and causing fear and panic. And, and so he called me to try to find out, Daryl, what should I do? You know, Darryl, Pastor Daryl, what, what should I do in a situation in order, in order to make things right? And then old, good old Pastor Daryl responded back, hey, let me tell you what, Alan, uh, let me tell you, man, it's, it's going to get bad. I hate to say it, but that's, look, look Alan, I know how those children are, those children. I know how bad it can be when those children move in next door. I know how your property values can be brought down so low. And here's the thing, Alan. I know the effect that those children, if you're not careful, can have on your children. What I would do if I were you, this is, this is Pastor Darrell. What I would do if I was you, man, is I, I would call the police. You see, see, those children, those kids are up to no good and their parents aren't being responsible. Who knows how they raised them? If I were you, I would call social services. I think we need to get those kids out of there as soon as possible. Alan called me back again. Hey, Daryl, I I made a few calls and man, it's just getting worse and it's getting worse. Again, I, I gave him some of that kind of advice based upon the wrong question, based upon the wrong perspective, based upon the wrong worldview, based upon fault-finding, finger-pointing, who's at fault, they sin, and this is what you ought to do. Told him more of the same, hey, I, I can't help you. I don't, I don't even know any good things to tell you. All I can tell you, man, it, it's going to get rough. Alan, do you have one of those uh, concealed carry permits? That's, that's what I said. You see, you see those, those pit bull dogs, they have those real hard skulls, and man, you, you're going to need something because it's going to get bad. Do you, you hear the worldview that I was coming out with? But it didn't take long. It was a few months later. I'll never forget the day because I keep it on my cell phone the day it came in as a voicemail. On November 6, 2020, uh, Alan called me back. It was 9 p.m. I was driving down the road, didn't get the message. But then I heard the voicemail message, and he reached out. Hey, Daryl, I know it's late. I know it's after 9. I don't expect you to call me back, but I just want to let you know what's been going on since you've been asking over and over and over again about these kids on the street. 
just want you to know that, that, that my family and I, that we got together, and, and what we did, Daryl, was we went out and we bought some toys and games, and, and we went over to these kids, and we sat down with them and their family, and we really just got a chance to talk with them and to, to hear their story, to hear their story, to connect with their lives. And so, and so Daryl, what, what turned out uh, to be a bad situation, uh, we can now see a glimpse of hope, a glimpse of light. And it's so much so, Daryl, that conversation went so well that even now those kids know that any time they can come and knock on our door and just talk to us or ask us about anything. I remember listening to that voicemail, boy, and my heart just broke. I just put the phone down, man. I just wept. Not because I didn't weep because I thought, boy, these kids are on such a great path now. I wept because I realized the state of my own heart. Andy Stanley called it, man. He said, he said questions really, what they accomplish is they reveal what's in our hearts. That they show and reinforce the values that we have. What are you saying about the marginalized in your world? What are you saying about those in your community that you come across every day? What are you saying about that marginalized woman who who either sought or is seeking an abortion? What if you just went to her and said, man, you're valuable and precious to God, and I love you just as much as I love your unborn child? What What if we went to the marginalized foreigner in our society, the one that we call an immigrant? What if we went to them instead of building bridges of hate and hostility? What if we instead built bridges of love and compassion and showed the unconditional love of Christ and recognized that we ourselves are nothing but foreigners in this world, that none of us who are named in the name of Christ are of this world, that we're of another place, and that one day we'll be gathered around the throne with people who don't look like us. We, too, can be a part of the solution by asking the right question, or we can continue to live our lives asking the wrong question. This story continues, and I'll back up real quick and read a little bit from verse 4 and 5. And Jesus said in verse 4, We need to be energetically at work for the one who sent me here, working while the sun shines. When night falls... When night falls, the work day is over. Jesus says in verse 5, For as long as I'm in the world, there is plenty of light. He says, I, he says, I am the world's light. And, And folks, ladies and gentlemen, my brothers and sisters, that light is inside of you if you're a Christ follower. But then Jesus goes on to do something really crazy. This is the point where, man, if, if you're in Hollywood, this is the point where you zone in, where, where, where if you're watching, you get that big bucket of popcorn because the story's about to change even for the better. You see, Jesus already healed the 12 who were blind, and now he's about to deal with the one. The Bible says that he does a, a crazy radical thing, and let's look at it here in verse 6 and 7. This is what Jesus says. He says this, and then what he does is he spit in the dust, made a clay paste with saliva, and rubbed the paste in the, man's, the blind man's eyes and said, Go wash at the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. The man went and washed, and he saw. I hope you see the picture as I see it here today. I mean, I mean can you imagine what was going on? As people stood around and watched, Jesus often walked up and laid hands and said, hey, guy, be healed. He often just spoke a word and said, be healed. Healing was often instantaneous right there on the spot. But Jesus did a crazy, unique thing that he knelt down and he spit in the dust and made a clay paste. I don't know about you, but I was thinking about how much spit it must take to make a clay paste. (laughs) Just wanted to throw that out. Looking and watching. 
You see, this guy probably heard years and years since he had grown up blind, since his parents had sat him out there as a, as a child begging and shaking the can for change. This guy probably heard the sound of spit often as people would spit on him as he went by because he, he was worthless in that society. He had no value in that world back then. And now Jesus knelt down and he heard that same old, that same old sound that he was familiar with. You guys know that sound. <laughs> I wonder if he backed up a little bit. This is Daryl's version of, of I, wonder if he, I wonder if he backed up a little bit. Maybe, what's going on? See, nobody said, hey, Jesus is about to heal you. He's going to start by putting the mud on. But before he does that, he's going to spit in the ground and make this little pace. No, no one said anything. All of a sudden, he heard the sound, and, and Jesus walks up to him. And I imagine he backed up a little bit as Jesus began to pack the stuff on his face. I don't know what it took for it to stick there, but the Bible says he packed it in, and it stayed there. Can you imagine the walk that he had to take when Jesus just said, go and wash. He didn't say, hey, guy, if you do these one or two things, great things are going to happen. No, all he said was just go and wash. Can you imagine the distance between where Jesus first packed the mud and where he went to, where he had to go in order to wash? It must have been a long journey. I imagine those who saw him going along the way with dirt and mud dripping down his face were saying, man, ha, ha, look at you. I consider your life and my life, how many people look at us as we go on the journey of our own lives and wonder, there's nothing good that's going to come out of that. Oh, you, you're not there yet. You're not going to make it. You'll never be what God says you're going to be. You'll never be healed with that thing that, this, that has you in its grip. You'll never get out of poverty. You'll never be able to, to, to own your own home. You'll never be able to get out of the, the stigma of what it means to be an immigrant. You'll never be able to escape it all. The blind man went on his journey just simply obeying Jesus and going to wash. Uh, let me tell you, my brothers and sisters, there's no promise that there's going to be a healing for your situation or mine. There are some who are born in poverty who will die in poverty. It's just the way it is. There are some, even, even friends of mine who, who came into this world dealing with, with harsh things that I don't understand the reasons why, but God knows, but who, who will go to their graves still dealing with pain and trouble and sorrows. In this world, there is trouble. I told you earlier that I had a, a son at home uh, who was blind. His name is Ryan, and, 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 and boy, every morning about 6 o'clock, you can hear Ryan making his way down the hallway, banging along the walls, making his way into the kitchen, or he'll start banging on the bedroom door because he wants his morning oatmeal. See, Brian's not only blind, but he's, he, he's totally uh, mentally handicapped as well. Uh, probably has uh, the mental capacity of maybe a, a kindergartner, sometimes a first, second grader. He wants what he wants, and he wants it now. He has a twin brother who's also mentally disabled. And in the morning, man, they, they go about getting their oatmeal. But every now and again, I get to hear the, these crazy sounds that are coming out of his room. Not the beautiful songs that we heard this morning, but you hear him singing these weird sounds, these noises. And I wonder if those sounds bring just as much honor and glory to God as the sounds that we hear today. I don't know. I don't know. I, I asked my wife, friends, do you ever get strange looks like when you're out and about? Do people ever look at you and wonder why? <clears throat> I wonder who's saying. I wonder, I wonder if it's because she didn't take her prenatal vitamins. I, I wonder if she was on drugs, if that's why he has a birth defect. That's what the blind man had was a birth defect. I wonder, I wonder if, 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 if that kid's a victim of domestic violence. I wonder if something happened maybe when she wasn't responsible. When I asked her, you ever asked why? Her response was, well, Daryl, why not me? Why me? Why not me? You see, I get a chance every now and again 
to see what God can do in ways that perhaps you would never understand when I hear those crazy songs in the morning. When, when I listen outside the door, when I'm not ready to get up yet because I stayed up too late watching Law and & Order, and, I hear, Bernie, <laughs> and I, hear, I hear Bernie's out there with them laughing and smiling and singing, these same children that, that the doctor said wouldn't make it past one year old before they died and went on. What, what about the marginalized in your world? What about the people you come across every day in your society? Instead of being people who point the blame, what if we looked instead to what God can do? There are many people in our world today, in our society, that are, that are blind. Man, they, they can't see. They're groping about in the darkness trying to find their way. They don't know the hope, can't see the peace, can't experience the unconditional love that's only found in Jesus. Except for you and I, stop pointing the finger, stop pointing the blame. Look instead to what God can do. When we look to what God can do, we can't help but allow God to look at us and say, what can we do with God at work? in and through us, reaching out, making a difference in the world that we live in today. Bow your heads with me as, as I close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you uh, that you do all things well. You do all things well. God, we don't always know why. Uh, I, I don't know why some of my brothers and sisters are suffering now with sickness and pain. I don't know why some that we love have died. I don't know why there are friends that I have that are still dealing with poverty trying to fight. I don't know why there are some who are trapped in the justice system who tend to keep coming into encounters with the police officers because the simple nature of the color of their skin. I don't know why we have jails that are overcrowded and why there's pain and suffering and sorrow and tragedy in this world except for the fact that sin entered the world through Adam. But I thank you, God, that you, you today can work through us who, 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 can, who can look at what you can do in the situation by bringing love and peace and hope, that unconditional love that's only found in Jesus Christ. God, help us to see. Help us to, to really see. In Christ's name, amen.